0: passage of Scripture. And when you see it on video form in the drama, it's uh, very powerful. Well, good morning. Uh, it's Palm Sunday. It's also the first day of spring. And uh, so glad that you're here this morning uh, to worship with us. And I hope you'll stay for brunch as well as we enjoy fellowship together. They think he is the one. Uh, They've been uh, talking about it. They said, uh, we think we have found the man that we're looking for. There are hundreds of thousands of Jews from all over the world who have come to Jerusalem for the Passover. And as they fill the streets, a victory parade starts to form at the edge of the city. A two-mile parade that will go into the heart of Jerusalem People are talking, they're rehearsing some of the things that they've heard about this man, his healing power is high on the list of, uh, of the mystery of who this man is, but they think he is the man, they're talking that way. The things that he did were electrifying, blind eyes could see again, lame legs surged with vitality and strength. And those confined to beds of affliction were up and about. And the word that surged through the hearts of everyone who pressed in to touch him was that word hope. They seemed to have hope. For it seemed like when you were in the presence of this man, you could dream the impossible dreams. And they would come true. He's rocking slightly as he rides down the steep hill from the Mount of Olives. People are waving and shouting. He's uh, riding on a small donkey colt, just like the prophet Zachariah said uh, it would be. Lord, look, your king is coming to you. He's righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, even on a donkey's colt. So he's coming in humility. He isn't coming like the arrogant Roman generals on their war horses. In fact, he's coming in humility like like Solomon did, remember? The son of King David who rode a mule through this same Kidron Valley when he came into Jerusalem to take up the throne as king. Jesus is coming from the Mount of Olives where the prophets said the Messiah would come. He would come from the Mount of Olives. So the momentum builds as the crowds line the streets. This is a moment in the history of Israel. Praise God, it's happening. Take off your coat, grab a palm branch, do what you can do to bring in this moment. We're living in a great hour of history. This may well be the beginning of the end for Rome. It looks like we have a leader. It looks like we have the Messiah. It looks like things are going to change. And so a mighty chorus goes up, bless the king who comes in the name of the Lord. But you know what? Like our American friends to the south, these are crazy times politically. America has never reacted quite this way before. What is that anger that burdens in their hearts these days the voice of the people cannot always be replied relied upon it's a fickle voice today's hero is tomorrow's goat crowds have a short memory they're usually asking the question what have you done for me today what have you done for me napoleon years ago traveling through switzerland With his army was greeted with thunderous applause and uh, enthusiasm. And one of his supporters said it must be delightful to be greeted with such demonstrations of enthusiastic admiration. Bah, said Napoleon, this same unthinking crowd under a slight change of circumstances would follow me just as eagerly to the scaffold. And that happened to Jesus. The same folks who cheered him on Sunday cried, Crucify him and give us Barabbas before the week was over. They greeted him with joy, but the applause ended. But an amazing day, nevertheless, an amazing day, Palm Sunday, for the disciples, for these 12 men. Uh, And they didn't know the week ahead. We know it, but they didn't. They were riding high. It was quite a moment for the disciples, don't you think? Maybe they were saying, that finally we're getting to it. We're getting to it now. Uh, he's our leader. We're getting somewhere. The last three years have been a little slow, but we're getting to it. And the crowds are recognizing him. And hear that? Calling him king. He's, they're calling him king. It's a new day. And here they are walking right behind the little colt with Jesus riding on it. And here they are, the main guys. They're the main guys with the popular leader. Uh, This is a moment to behold. They are his loyal followers. Up to now, they hadn't had a lot of credible recognition, but things are changing. Look at these crowds. We would say today, he's filling the stadiums. It's a great day. And what about Judas? Oh, he's there too. He's there too. Let's just talk a little bit about Judas this morning. Judas undercover. Judas undercover. You know, he's been undercover for a long time, three and a half years nearly, and he's done well not to blow his cover all this time. So I wonder what he was thinking as he walked into Jerusalem with Jesus being hailed as the king. What was his angle? We really don't know why Judas had followed Jesus in the first place. He was searching for something. We know he was a zealot, which means he had a political agenda for the overthrow of the Roman establishment. Did he think he had a better shot of uh, accomplishing some of the goals through following this man, Jesus? Did he think Jesus was really going place so if he just sort of hitched on to him that it might be just a way for him to set up shop against the opposing Roman government? I don't know. What was in his thinking? Was he attracted to the charisma of Jesus? Was he attracted to the perks of following a famous rabbi? And if you're following a famous rabbi, most of the time you get free shelter and food. Did that appeal? Uh, Was it the adventure? It's like traveling. Traveling for some is a real adventure. You meet a lot of people. Maybe that was on his radar as being important. Or maybe you get to be held in high esteem if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. And maybe I would too then. Yeah, there's Peter over there. You know Peter, he's an amazing guy. And there's John, he's one of the sons of Zebedee. You know John, and he's pretty famous. And, and there's Matthew, and then there's me. Uh, and, and my name is Judas. And, uh, you know, maybe that felt good. Maybe that felt good. John's Gospel tells us that all the people, all the money given to support Jesus' ministry was kept in one account. And Judas was the one selected to have the ATM card. Oh, he had signing authority. And he carried the card in his wallet. And we're also told that Judas used the ATM card more than he needed to. He just called it borrowing. I don't know what he spent it on, but maybe it tells you that he had a bit of an appetite for the perks of life. So Palm Sunday must have tripped Judas's trigger a little bit because it fed right into those extreme views of overthrowing Rome. This thing might look like it might be headed in the right direction. He might have been excited as the thought of the great revolution was about to take place because look at these crowds. And all of the disciples seemed to have an interest in bettering themselves in the new kingdom. Well, it was just nights before that Peter and John, was, uh, they were kind of debating this, who's going to be the greatest, and, and I'd sure love to sit on your left-hand side, and I'd love to sit on your right-hand side. And I, w- I wonder what Judas was thinking. I'm sure he was thinking, I'd like an upgrade too, a little more influence, maybe a portfolio assigned, especially in the government. To uh, get rid of those Romans, but you do have to admit he was good, he was good, he was good at being a con, and no one picked him up, picked it up, even with him being in charge of the ATM card. No one picked it up, and even at the Last Supper when Jesus says, "'One of you will betray me' You don't hear the rest of the disciples say, Oh, we know. We got that one figured out. We know who that is. No one. No one pointed a finger at Judas. They didn't know. Judas was undercover for a long time. We all have that capacity to not really be going in the same direction as Jesus. But it looks like we are. Nobody could ever say, I can see that he's not really with Jesus. Jesus. He's just pretending. It's a cover up. That's pretty hard to tell. And Judas was an ace at it. What are the perks of pretending to be with Jesus, but we're not really in? It's a game. Why would anyone anybody want to play that game? Well, maybe there are some perks. Politically, the wise politician courts the evangelical vote. So politicians can look like they're in. Uh, We're one of you too. And they use all the right language. And inside the church, being part of following Christ may mean just keeping peace. I'll just be part and I'll just keep the peace. And it's easier to go along than it is to set up roadblocks, which just cause a lot of tension. Uh, There are some great business contacts. It's important to know the right people. Perhaps that's a motive to be undercover. Cultivate the contacts. But there comes a moment when you figure out that Jesus is calling you to love Him and His people more than your perks or power or political advantages. Things look great, on Palm Sunday, but not so great on Monday, Thursday. It was coming down to the wire and it was getting harder to be a follower of Jesus Christ without being totally in. And the more you follow Jesus, the more it becomes absolutely clear that there is a cost. Jesus talked about it all through His ministry, the cost of discipleship, the cost of being His follower. And in Mark chapter 8, verse 34... Jesus said these words, Anyone who intends to come to to me, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to saving yourself, your true self. What good would it do to get everything you want and lose you? the real you, what could you ever trade your soul for? What could you ever trade your soul for? Those are the words of Jesus. And when Judas began to get it, that Jesus was taking his followers in a direction that he wasn't prepared to go, he began to put together a plan, a plan which included betrayal. You see, it's a mindset and a hard set that is so different from what Jesus came to establish. Judas was thinking power. Judas was thinking influence and ranking and a position in the government and overthrow. And that looked different than taking a bowl of water and a towel and washing somebody's feet. What? Wash your feet? That's weakness. That's servant stuff. Forgive somebody? That's crazy stuff. Listen to somebody's pain? Really? Listen, I can't get too close because it will blow my cover. Get too close to Jesus and you'll feel this sense of accountability. You get too close to Jesus and He knows your thoughts and your deeds and your heart. So better to be apart but not really apart. Better to be connected but not really connected. Better to be in but not really in. I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but if it does, it's probably a very awkward position to be in. It's confusing, it's ripping, it tears you apart to be in to but not to be in. Jesus, a Judas decided he couldn't follow a leader like Jesus. Oh, it was quite a decision to make. He turned him in for a better deal He turned him in for a better deal. It looked like a better deal, but oh, had he been able to think that through, he would have never gone there. He betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of perks. We looked it up 30 pieces of silver, about the equivalent of $600. That's crazy. Betray the Son of God for $600? Wasn't much of a deal. And in the end, he didn't even want the perks. It was nauseating to him. It threw it back into the temple. What's keeping you from being all in? What do the perks look like for you? Afraid to surrender them because they're really important. And I'm holding on. You know, Jesus offers you another opportunity to start fresh. I'm always overwhelmed by how much he loved Judas. I'm always overwhelmed by that. And and how he reaches out to him, hoping that he will change his mind, because God's grace is still able. Do you know where the best perks in life come from? They come from serving others. They come from serving Christ through serving others. It doesn't get better than serving others because God designed the human heart that way. And he put purpose and meaning into our lives and significance when we serve others. That's how he made it work. And so when you give to others, you receive. And those are the best perks, giving yourself away for the cause of Christ because it just comes back to fill your heart in amazing ways. So first of all, you see a man undercover for all the years that Jesus ministered, but he was with him, and yet he was undercover. For all the years that he ministered, he was with him, but he was undercover. Oh, friends, God calls us to a new start, a fresh start. Maybe it's time to say today, I'm no longer undercover. I'm coming out from being undercover. Maybe it's just time to be bold and step up. Maybe it's time, as Pastor Norb said this morning, is maybe it's just time to get baptized. It's just a first step of obedience. It's time to step up if you haven't. It's time to grow and say, where can I find my purpose and direction in being His follower? It's time to serve. It's time to step forward. So first of of all, uh, a man undercover. Then secondly, uh, Jesus uh, recovered. Judas uncovered. Jesus recovered. In Matthew uh, 26, verse 47 and following, you find a a recovered Jesus. He's, He's not recovering from a downfall. Don't misunderstand me. He is, he is recovered from the Garden of Gethsemane, anointed, covered again for the next days of ministry when He will give His life for all of us. He is recovered with the grace and strength of God. He is recovered and re-strengthened through His time in Gethsemane. He has been covered again through prayer. And He came out of Gethsemane strong, Stronger than when He went in, He wrestled His mission to the ground. If you recall, I quoted this uh, from Haddon Robinson last week. I'll just quote it again because it seems so applicable. If He is so broken in Gethsemane, when, when all He's doing is praying, I might have said, what will He do when He faces a real crisis? Why can't he approach this ordeal with the calm confidence of his three sleeping friends? Yet when the test came, Jesus walked to the cross with courage and his three friends fell apart and fell away. When the test came, he walked to the cross with courage. There is a work that is done in a person's heart that brings a deep confidence, a sovereign, majestic confidence. It often is shaped on the anvil of suffering and pain. Alan Redpath, who is a British pastor and was a British pastor and evangelist, actually served at um, Moody Bible Church in Chicago years ago, had a few famous quotes, and one of them was this. When God wants to do an impossible task, he takes an impossible person and crushes him. When God wants to do an impossible task, he takes an impossible person and crushes him. That may sound harsh, may sound even cruel, until you understand that becoming like Christ is a very painful process. It never just happens like, oh, that was easy. It's a very difficult road. Redpath used to say, the conversion of a soul is the miracle of a moment, but the manufacture of a disciple is the task of a lifetime. And I think you understand that there's quite a difference between becoming a Christian and becoming a disciple. Becoming a Christian is vital, and it's, it's the beginning. It's the starting point of a new journey, and it is a place where we all kind of launch. But becoming a disciple is the journey of a lifetime as we seek to become close followers of Christ. It is a process when my goal is, where my goal is to please Him more than it's to please anybody else, more than it's to please my parents, more than it's to please my spouse, more than it's to please my children or anyone who might have high expectations of me, my first allegiance is is Christ. It includes self-denial and unwillingness to pursue my own way or to go God's way and to please Him. A Christian is a person rightly related to God through faith in Jesus Christ. But it doesn't automatically mean we become a disciple It's the task of a lifetime. And all of us know that very well. Jesus has devoted His whole life to the Father. On every occasion He has bowed His knee in submission. And now when the skies are ominous and the heavens are dark, there is a confidence and there is a majestic confidence that is evident in the life of our Savior. And Judas says, you'll know Him. You'll know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. But he has a little army with him. And I'm astounded at how many soldiers they sent. The word, not in Matthew's Gospel, but I think it's in John's Gospel, is cohort or contingent, which depending on how you read that or how you interpret that, is a 1,000 troops or some, say, 600 troops. Why would you need 500, 600, 1,000 troops to arrest a street preacher? It sounds to me like a little bit of an overkill here. They came prepared with their torches and spears and clubs, yet it seems to me that they were a little uneasy. John's Gospel said they drew back. Jesus said, Are you looking for me? Judas had given them the prearranged signal and emerged from the crowd of soldiers and he came to Jesus and he kissed him. And that was the sign to make sure the disciples got the right guy. So Judas came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed and gave him the kiss. And Jesus said, my friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. Jesus is so confident and strengthened by Gethsemane that he can say, my friend, my friend. Imagine, my friend, after all that Judas has done to him, still reaching out, still saying in effect, Judas, it doesn't have to be this way. I believe that. Right to the last moment, Judas, you could still switch. They grabbed Jesus and they arrested him, but what of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest slave slashing off his ear. We well, know from John's gospel that it was Peter and it isn't surprising that Peter would have done that. And actually you have to admire Peter. I think we do for his courage against such odds that he had to do something. He was he was agitated, he was going to do something. He took some wild swings and he came out with an ear on the ground. He probably wasn't aiming for the ear, but he wasn't that good with the sword, so he got an ear. And it was quick, and it was out without much thought, and he did it, and just off came an ear. And you know, honestly, uh, there's been a lot of pain in the church through the years uh, because someone in their agitation and foolishness picked up a sword and cut off someone's ear. Well, it didn't exactly happen like that, but It probably involved words and decisions and actions that were extremely hurtful. But somebody's dignity got lopped off and somebody's character or integrity got attacked. And someone's heart got injured. Now, you and I might have been the one wielding the sword or it might have been you or I who got the ear lopped off. Maybe if we look back, we've, we've, been, we've been on both sides at times. We've been the loppers and we've been lopped. Uh, there are some people who won't come to church anymore because somebody came along and lopped off their ear. You could be sitting here this morning and as soon as I mention this subject, boy, you have a memory. You have a memory and it's painful. You have a story and it takes you back to church and and I'm glad you're here today and I'm glad that you you still come because you've been hurt. Or you have someone in your family that you know of that just will not come back anymore and your heart breaks. I don't know your story. I don't know your pain. And I don't even know how to say it. that I regret it that it happened to you or that I'm sorry it did my heart breaks for those who say I'll never darken the door of a church again because of the malicious things that were said I'll never set foot inside a church because of the gossip and the innuendos and the straight-out awful things that were said and done. And some of it was done kind of like Peter. Got to do something, got to take a swing, got to strike back and done because, some, because it, for some it's just the right thing to do. But unfortunately, every one of those swings are connected to a person with real feelings who are also trying to make sense of life. If you're here this morning and you've been hurt, you need to talk. I hope you will. You need to heal, be restored. Maybe you already have been. Keep on, keep on. The enemy would love to lock us up in a prison bound by our hatred and resentment. But the Holy Spirit wants to release us so that we can continue to grow for some this is the anvil of suffering and pain and it's part of what we have to work through to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ a disciple Jesus said put away your sword those who use the sword will die by the sword don't you realize that I could ask my Father for thousands of angels to protect us and He would send them instantly? But if I did, how would the Scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? Jesus was recovered, covered again with the mission and strength and power of His calling. I'm remembering that old song. Uh, you, Some of you will know it. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. Now, if I was a singer, I'd just belt that out, but you're not going to get it from me. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. What courage, what poise. He knew what he could do, but he knew what he had to do. He knew what he he could do, but he knew what he had to do. And he submitted to this little army and the Jewish leaders and Judas out of obedience to God. aren't you glad he didn't call the angels? Aren't you glad he didn't call the angels? They would have come with swords blazing if Jesus just gave the word. They ought to come. No, he saw beyond all of this. He remained steadfastly obedient to God's word and God's way. The pressure was hard upon him, betrayed, arrested, beaten, scoffed at. Through it all, he didn't sin, he didn't quit. Had he sinned, had he quit, all would have been lost and we wouldn't be here today. and We would be swallowed up in despair. So two thoughts this morning, two different J's, one for Judas and one for Jesus. Judas, undercover all these years he spent with Jesus, and Jesus covered again with the mission and purpose of God for his life, and there was no turning back. What a contrast. Judas, who didn't see his purpose, lived his whole life, thought of himself, his perks, his convenience, and died so regretfully, so regretfully. And Jesus, who lived his 33 years on earth, knew exactly why he had come, gave everything he had, including his life, so that we might discover who we are in him. That we have been forgiven through the work of Christ. That we've been given hope and a future that is amazing. That we one day will be with him forever. And because of who we are, uh, we will always be in him. Because he died for us. Two J's. Always choose Jesus. He's the friend of all friends. He carries our burdens. He invites us to come to him. What a friend we have in Jesus. Let's stand together. Lord, we, uh, we choose you. We choose you. I know sometimes we disappoint you. And ourselves, that we choose you. And we thank you so much for choosing us. We thank you for Gethsemane and for wrestling there so that you could be re-strengthened for those final days. Thank you for your fresh determination to go to the cross. And thank you for not calling the angels, Lord. It would have been so easy to call the angels and it all off but you didn't and thank you for purchasing our forgiveness and forgiving yourself forgiving yourself on the cross in jesus name